0: Turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, we're teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been through chapter 5 and all the things that are there. We ended last week, from verses 19 through 24, where we are warned about where our treasure is, covetousness. Greed, anything that would have to do with the accumulation of this world's wealth and trying to hoard it, keep it, and so forth. And we're warned about things of that sort. We could conclude to say that money is a poor God to serve. Money is a very disappointing God to serve. It's called the deceitfulness of riches in Scripture. It is deceitful. Because it can be here today and be gone tomorrow, and you get all settled in like that one fellow in the Bible. He said, look at what I have. I'm going to pull down all my barns and and build new barns and put all my stuff, and I've got so much. And Jesus said to him, he said, thou fool, you're going to die tonight, and then who's going to get all of this? It didn't do you any good at all. You worked hard to get it, and you died while you had it and didn't enjoy it. Because it's so deceitful. You thought in order for you to be somebody in life, you had to have stuff or have things. And you worked so hard to get things and to get ahead in life as we're all challenged to do. And and then in the midst of your days, it's gone. He told the in church, I thought it was very well to do. He said, you're blind, you're poor, you're wretched, and you're naked. And uh, he said, money made nothing out of you except the judgment of that God has to bring because it turns you away from God. And so we're warned about that attitude, that effect that uh, this world's goods have on so many people. And so many people work for that, live for that, serve that. It becomes, well, like Paul said in Colossians, covetousness is an idol. It's idol worship. That's who you serve. That's what you're living for. That's who you're counting on and what you turn to. And we're warned against that. Now, tonight in verse 25 through the end of the chapter, Jesus is against the expression of sinful anxiety. And you live in a world, all of us do, we live in a world that is full of anxiety. A world that is continually troubled. A world that is uncertain a world that has no real assurance that there'll even be a tomorrow, a world that's full of stress, stress promoted by the news media, by events. Because if you pick up a paper, it's all gloom and doom. Most of it's negative, if people read papers anymore. You're living at a time in which people are troubled and difficult, and they can't seem to get over the hump. And because of that, they are angry, they have bad attitudes. Uh, they can't control their their emotions so many times because of the uncertainty of life. And they really don't know what to do about it. And drug companies are making fortunes off of people's anxiety. Well, here's what Jesus said about anxiety, especially as it continues in the context of people who are striving to get and to have or worried about whether they will have or be able to tomorrow and all of that, have things and do things. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, and what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body than clothing? Behold, the fowls of the air, they neither sow, neither do they reap, nor they gather into the barns, and yet, Your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take you thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And in the days of Solomon, silver was like dust in the streets. Never a time in all of history has any kingdom been like Solomon. And yet God says that in all that he had and all the ways that he was arrayed and refined and his kingdom and himself was presented, he said it wasn't even equal to the lilies of the field. In verse 30 he said, Wherefore if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For all these things the Gentiles seek after. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Notice he said all these things. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now you notice in these verses of Scripture here the words take and thought used together, take thought or take no thought, are used five times. Now that's a lot in Scripture, in a section of Scripture, for the Lord to say something that often. But one of the weaknesses of man is the vulnerability to things that makes him worry and take thought, and things that he gets anxious about. In fact, the word take thought is a mental word. It has to do with your mind, your thinking, the way you process things in your mind, and it has to do with anxious care. We call it simply worry. The product of worry and anxious care is stress. And stress eliminates a lot of joy and obviously peace in anybody's life. It's hard to be peaceful when you're worrying and your mind is divided and distracted and you can't locate a solution because this word for take thought is that this word means to be divided and distracted in the mind. Now the mind is susceptible to what it sees because the eye shows you things and And if you don't know what to do about things, there's a certain kind of tension that comes. It may not be a big deal, but it could be a big deal. It could be somebody's life, somebody's health. could be your money, your daughter, your son, a problem you don't know what to do, a big deal. I mean, it could be something that's really big. The problem is if you don't know what to do about it, the only thing you know to do is to naturally worry and to fret and to stress yourself, and your smile turns into a frown, and things like that begin to happen, and and you're no longer at peace. The words take thought were used for example, to show you another. See, the word take thought can mean negative something, like worry, or it can be something good, or like concern for other people. Take the negative part first about, about worry. Philippians 4, 6, Paul wrote, Be careful for nothing. Remember that? Be careful for nothing. That means don't worry about anything. Now, that doesn't keep Christians from worrying. Christians can read that, quote that, put it on a plaque, hang it on the wall, and spend the whole day doing just the opposite. So quoting the Bible, reading the Bible doesn't mean you believe it. You may know what it says and be very skillful at quoting it, but that doesn't mean you're acting like the word is true. You see, that's the whole solution there. The solution to anxiety is to believe what God said, but not just to believe it academically, but to believe it in your heart, and it becomes your solution, your answer, so you no longer worry about whatever the problem was because you have a word from God. It'll be all right. God will take care of it. If he says things like that, He will. You remember Luke 10 when he said, Martha, Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you are are so careful about so many things. And the word careful means troubled. You're just troubled about so many things, about how you're going to cook your food and so forth. So the word can mean just exactly that, things that God does not approve of. God does not encourage ever for us to worry about anything. And yet we're told in the Bible, in the last days perilous times shall come, and we're shown all the traits that are, and we're seeing it. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, and terrorists and lives are in peril, and the uncertainty of riches and and thieves are everywhere. And yet in the midst of all of that, we're being trained and taught, led by the Spirit as we face those things, not to worry about it because we're told your worry cannot change it you're getting together and have a and have a worry meeting where we're all going to get together and just cry and, and just fret oh god won't we go? you can do that and you change nothing that is not what God responds to the one thing in the Bible that that assures you of God's response is faith and faith is that Ability that God has given you to take him at his word. If he says he'll do it, then that settles it. He'll do it. Why should I worry like he won't do it? If he said he would, he will. I've got to believe that. It doesn't work because I say that. It works because I believe that. But the basis for my believing is the fact that he said that. I have a word from God that he says that he will do that. And again, the word you know—I mentioned that the word has a has another side to it. The word "take take no thought" or "marmenel," in First Corinthians twelve, and verse twenty-five, it said that members should have the same care one for another. The word "care" there was could translate concern, and that's the way we should be with each other in a church. Uh, we are to be. Each other oriented, that we are members one of another, and that we truly are a brothers keeper. And uh, we'll never learn what that means and enjoy the benefits of what that means until we actually do that. But that's one of the things that, uh, that Christians do: we have care one for one for another. Now, would you turn to First Peter chapter five? Worry, anxiety, and stress fact of the matter is we worry about things we are not trusting god for you know your bible knowledge may be uh, admirable and all of that again it doesn't mean you believe it what you're stressed about in this room tonight any of us are things we're not trusting god for we're not trusting god about if we were trusting in the lord for good results as he's promised them, we wouldn't worry But when we worry, and I don't mean that worry is not real, it is very real. The conditions that bring worry, situations that worry arises from, are evident continually in your life. And yet, if your mind is stayed on God, so should the solution ever be continually before you. I think it's the people who don't pay attention to what God is saying who don't hide the word in their hearts, who don't give the more earnest heed to the things that God has said, who tend to forget when trouble comes that God has already taught you what to do. And when you can't remember that or you forget that, when you tend to forget that God has told you things, it means you haven't paid attention. You're kind of taking for granted what you hear in church. And yet it only works when you apply it, and you can only apply it by faith. And entrance of God's words not only give us hope and light, but they also provide a basis for faith. If we want to have faith in God, it can only be according to what he has said in his word. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, we're told to cast all of our care over on the Lord, and he cares for us, which means he's concerned for us. Didn't he say, didn't Jesus say, your father knows that you have need of all these things? And didn't your father say he would give you all of these things? So he's concerned about the things that trouble us, things that we need. God knows. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. But we're told that, you know, the devil goes about like a roaring lion in this section of Scripture. And and, and he's in verse 7 and 8 that follows. And he's looking for somebody he can destroy or swallow down. But we're told that we are to resist him steadfast in the faith. And so before he said that, he said we're to cast all of our care, our anxiety, and our worries. The things the devil, as a roaring lion, brings into your life to try to snare you with it. you got to learn to cast it over on the Lord. Because if you don't, then you're going to try to fix it yourself, and you're going to try to find a solution to this yourself or some means of this world and these times make you scared I mean they are fearful Paul one time was on a ship and he said we had the sentence of death in ourselves that the ship was breaking up I'd be the first one to admit if I'd been in a ship and it was breaking up in a sea of wild waves roaring and wind howling I am quite certain my eyes would have been pretty bugged with fear Unless the Lord spoke to me like he did to Paul. And he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You're going to survive, you and all the men with you. But Paul did say, he said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. It was a fearful time. The things that we deal with, you, all of us, in your families, our brothers and our sisters, the things that we deal with as a church are serious. Your money matter is a serious thing to you. Because without... Resources You can't can't maybe not even pay your rent or buy groceries or whatever it is. You need gasoline. And, boy, the gas goes up. You know, in Shelbyville, I don't know about the rest of the world. But it goes up in chunks here. From $3.08 to $3.46 in one evening. I guess there's a crisis somewhere in the world. I think it's more of a crisis with greed down the road a piece. But these things are real. And the devil is the one who's a tempter. And he comes up and he says, Now, what are you going to do? You got to buy groceries tomorrow, and you better back off. I'm in post toasties and and a hamburger. You know, because things are getting pretty tight. And, uh, you know, your kids' bill at school, you got this thing at school, and then you got uh, this coming up, and your taxes are due, and whatever it is going on. You need some work on your car. The washing machine doesn't work. It's cold outside. You got a headache. You going to have another baby. And he's saying, man, oh, man, everything. everything is piling up. Well, I'm telling you what people fret over. You're going to have a what? Tell me no. Don't. Don't. Tell me no. Please. As though that's the end of the world. I mean, the things that people worry about. Uh, change your personalities over. It can affect a marriage. It's just worry or fear about, oh, no, or whatever it could be. It could be health. You found some serious problem in your body, or you detect, or you're made to think that it's real serious. Or you're coughing, and you have a certain pain, and you think, "Uh uh-oh, you don't say oh the devil says uh oh that's that's a sclobomyces thing that's going around and and if you're not careful this or you the bird flu or whatever it is and and you can worry about it. you're given things to worry about. the whole world is geared to worry. I mean the devil lies in darkness. Why wouldn't you be tempted to worry? Why wouldn't you have the constant thoughts coming against your mind? Telling you that it won't work, it can't work. It's too hot, too too cold, too far, too slow. What are you going to do now? Oh no! Why wouldn't the devil do that? That's the nature of darkness. Darkness has no light. There's no solution. You cannot see the end of anything. You're just wandering and hoping, and, and and you have no faith because you have no solutions. Well, I've heard the words. You go to church, but you don't have any faith. You have no faith because you're not making application of the word. In fact, in the time of darkness, most people can't even quote the word, and they've heard it for 20 years. That's why the devil is making miserable a lot of people's lives, because he can. They are able to be done that to. Peter wrote, cast all your care over on him. That's your anxiety. That's the very thing he spoke of in Matthew 6. Cast your worry on the Lord. Roll your way over on the Lord, Psalm 55 says. That's where it came from. Give it to God. You weren't made to walk through life overwhelmed, defeated, and cast down. That's not much of a light to shine in this world. You're living in a world in which people are stooped over and burdened with unsolvable solutions. Drugs don't help it. Drugs only temporary. People, people take drugs as some form of an escape, usually from who they are. Most people don't like who they are. Drugs makes you feel like you're somebody else. Or you may be a shy person, and you do speed, and you're talking all the time, or meth, or whatever people do today. I mean, it, it, it's a tragedy. It's a modern-day tragedy that people cannot cope with life. All they can do as victims in this life is worry. Worry, share their worries, write about their worries, seek some new drug for some depressed state so I can escape my worry for a little while. It's a dark and tragic world that people without Christ live in. We're not better than they are, they're not better than we are. We're human beings living in a world, a world that is designed because of who is a ruler of the darkness that is designed to overwhelm you, overthrow you, to kill, to steal, and destroy your life. And the only solution, and there's only one, that's Jesus Christ. And yet he is nothing more than a historical figure to most of the world and most of the Christian world. He is somebody they've heard about all their life of whom they have no clue of how to make real what he promised. So all they can do is worry. They worry and they fret. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to cast all their care over on the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, what was it, two or three weeks ago when the twins were born? And there was some, let me put it, just say, some grave concern as it was given to me, some serious concerns about one of them. And so you begin thinking about it because the devil gives you scenarios. and You begin thinking about, oh, man. And so you're already thinking we've got a problem, a tragedy here. And it hasn't even happened. But the devil makes you think like it's already happening. And, oh, and I remember going through this, trying to work on a sermon, and for a, most of a day, praying. And then started quoting scripture and thinking about what it was saying. Then I realized that I believed it. I knew I did. I mean, I, sometimes we have to strengthen ourselves. And so we do that as we go to the source of our strength, which is the Lord, and the Lord provision, that's his word. So I began quoting it. I began thinking, you know, what time I am afraid, Psalm 56 says, what time I am afraid I will trust the Lord. And I think, you know, I can do that. That's what it should do. And started going through some other things. And uh, after all these years, I mean, of, of fighting and wrestling a thousand different kinds of battles and wars, some of them big, some of them little, but they're all a war. It came to me just like a flash. First Peter 5, 6, cast all your care over on him. Well, I've taught that. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, he said these thoughts, you're not doing that. You're thinking on it and you're dwelling on it, but you're not free. you got to cast your care. There comes a point, and I and I did this, there comes a point in your battle, in your war, in your part and role in praying for somebody, in this case, some little fella. that uh, my role for him is to pray for him and to pray the prayer of faith. Now, once I've done that, There is nothing else I can do. Now, we can get together and pray again if you want to, but I've already bleed. I'm glad for prayer. I'm glad for all day and all night prayer. I'm glad for that because that means that somebody's pressing in. But once I have prayed myself, once I have released my faith for something, there is nothing more I can do. I just release that to God, and I determine, you know, it's in your hands now. It's in your hands. I've done all I can do. I can't make it work. Uh, I can't keep this. I can't make that. I am casting my concern, my marimna, my mental pro I am casting it over on you. I refuse to take it back and go home and say, oh, I don't know what I'm going on." I refuse it. I put a smile on my face as, as a witness to the Lord God that I'm trusting him. I'm not worried about it anymore. I'm not going to fret over it. I'm not going to be anxious about it. I'm going to let the the Lord have it. And I remember, as I'm standing here tonight, I remember the peace that I began to experience. Not because I had a good phone call. As far as I knew, it was still a very serious battle. still raging. But from my side, I had peace. I was not going to worry about it. I was not going to fret about it. Because, as he said, your worry and your fretting and the wringing of your hands does not change anything. It is not the way God shows us to deal with things that are stressful. Our place is to find out what God said about something... And trust him for it. We're just going to trust him. What, let me ask you this: What else can you do? Can you make God speed it up? Can you force God to do it quicker or your way? No, we're, we're walking through life as Christians. We're facing things that trouble us. All of us. All of us. And he's teaching us. How to deal with it? That doesn't mean we just say, "Well, I prayed, I'm done." I'm saying, I'm saying what I said to you. I prayed until I knew in my heart my faith was released on this in this situation. There was nothing more that I could do about it, because praying more and more doesn't mean because you pray a long time you get an answer. If praying a long time is the way we get answers, then we should just get up in the morning if we got a problem and just decide that we're just going to sit on the couch or at the table and just pray all day because that assures us of an answer. But even Jesus taught that doesn't work. You're much praying. He said, you're not heard because of much praying. The thing that gets the ear of God is your faith. F-A-I-T-H. We ought to teach on that subject sometime because it's played such a prominent role in Christians' lives. I think we can make it, we can overdo some of that. I, I, I'm sure we can. But you'll never overdo the importance of faith in a Christian's life, because that's how things work. Without that, without faith, without faith you cannot please God. Stress is not faith. Anxiety is not faith. Jesus himself said, why do you worry about life or food? What about food that you're not sure is good food or not? Maybe it's got a bug in it. Well, I wouldn't eat it either. But if I didn't know who had been fooling with my food back in the kitchen when they served me about, you know, the best I can do, his Father, in Jesus' name, I receive this food with thanksgiving, and I have his word that nothing shall by any means harm me. Now, I can believe that. Now, if I cannot believe that the way I'm talking about it now, then I probably ought to just look at my food and thank God for plates and stuff. I remember I was in India once. India is not the most pristine place you've ever seen. It's not the cleanest city you've ever driven through. I mean, I've seen people laying on the streets, and I don't know if they were dead or alive, and and sewage, and and, I mean, it's not very nice. And I remember going into a restaurant one day for lunch with some other men, and it was very dark. But there was a light that you could look at, and they put glasses on the table. And uh, I just held my glass up, and I could see all kinds of uh, FBI fingerprints all over my glass. And I remember the thought came, I hope those are fingerprints and not lip prints. So so what'd you do? Well ordered Coke. But after two or three days of that I went as if in my hotel and I was very thirsty because I was not drinking the water. As that you know, people other states say if you go to Kentucky, don't, don't drink the water. But uh, So I got up there in the sink and right there in the sink and turned that water on. And I said, now, in the name of Jesus, I am thirsty and I'm going to drink you. I'm going to drink until my thirst is quenched you. I think I drank three big glasses of water, just swallowed them down and turned her off. And uh, I'm still here. Nothing's crawled out of me and nothing's eating holes through me, so I'm still here. I'm just saying there comes a time in which you've got to deal with things. You may just be putting up with things right now. You may be putting up with an illness or a child or money or that. You may you know, God, God is faithful. God, that's good. Just say God is faithful and somehow that works. It might not. You may have to deal with it. And when you have to deal with it, the only way you can deal with it satisfactorily with God is to know what He says about it. What does God say about it? Is there a promise in the Bible that deals with your situation? Amen. Are there any promises that have to do with finances? Amen. My God shall supply all your needs. That's a good one. Amen. He even said that he can open the windows of heaven. He can do that and pour out a blessing upon you. He can do Luke six thirty eight. Give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That wouldn't be a bad way to live. Well, it might be. It might be really bad to have stuff like that. You know, we shouldn't be blessed. We should be blessed. That's what Luke 6.38 said. That's what the Bible is all all about. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be stressed out all the time. We don't have to be concerned. And yet we face stressful situations. We do. I mean, between health, you know, a lot of people get older. And when you get older, physically things change, and you slow down, and your body slows down, and then you get this and that, and this happens and that happens. And, you know, if you don't have if if you're not covered, uh, uh, you can lose everything in just one trip downtown. And that is true. It is true. I heard them say the other night on a newscast that the one operation of some sort was like a $50,000 operation. I thought 50,000 bucks. You could buy Brian's Lexus for $50,000. <laughs> $50,000 for that? Oh man. Or you know one day uh Keith cut the end of his finger off. I think the, the, the time that was over, that was in the 20s or 30,000 dollars. I'd have to hold that say I don't know if you worth 20,000 dollars or not. No, I didn't It wasn't my finger, so I didn't have to go through that. But you can worry about stuff like that if you want to, yet I believe that with long life. In the 91st Psalm, the very last promise he made is, with long life will I satisfy you. Now, satisfy to me has a, has a nice ring to it. For even as I approach the gray-haired years of my life, I'll still be full of sap and fat. <laughs> I'm using Bible words, but it doesn't mean what you're thinking, but it means that you'll do well. Promises are not just for young people. Promises are not just for the vigorous and, and the enthusiastic and the young and the youthful. Promises are, are for Christians, young or old. And the needs you have when you're young, he takes care of them. The needs you have when you're old, he takes care of those too. God knows all of our needs. And why should I fret? If I know that he knows my needs and that he has promised to meet my needs, then who am I to worry as though he won't do it? And Christians, by the multitudes and by the barnfuls of Christians, live as though God will not do what he said. They go to church and relish themselves in the fact that we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We believe the Bible is true from cover to cover, that Jesus came, that Jesus is coming back again, and that we believe in miracles and this and that, and we believe it all. But, and yet, come, when you come right down to certain simple things in your life, and don't take this wrong, because I'm not talking about being better than anybody, but they really do deny the Lord that bought them, By when a problem comes that was designed to turn you to God. They turn to something else. They worry and they fret and they complain to God why they didn't get something from him. Why indeed? See, there's a warning here. Turn to Matthew 13. There's a warning here about worry and stress and care and anxiety. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns. Now notice, you've heard this before. Is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Let me ask you a question. The Bible described from the lips of Jesus. The red print, the red letter. There are two things in life that choke the word of God. That is to keep this treasured word that we have, the Bible, that keeps its content from being real in your experience. Two things. Two things that will prevent the response of God in your life to do what he said. You can point your fingers, well, God said, God said, God said, and, and I'm, I'm confessing, I'm confessing. There's two things that will keep that from not working. You know what they are? In this verse, it's warning. He said, the care of this world, care is the worry of this world. The package the world presents to its inhabitants about what they can't do and what's not possible and what won't work and you better not and what if. All the unsolvable scenarios that the devil can throw at you that all come from this world. And you see the world on the advertisements and then the conversations and driving down. I mean, the world is out there. All the dreams that we're supposed to seek after. And then they are hindered by this problem and that problem until finally we give up. Christians do all the time. I've been at this too many years. I've known way too many Christians that gave up. Just gave up. Charismatics or otherwise, they just give up. Get tired of trying. Get tired of, and what they're trying is to get God to respond to them by doing something. And that's not what brings God's response. What brings God's response? Faith. Simple Trust. That's what God responds to, and yet that's the thing they rejected as a cult. That doesn't work. That couldn't work because it's too simple. And yet the simplicity of the gospel is what this is all about. So all of these things pop up in the world, and the devil throws all this junk at you, and you worry about it. And let me tell you something as long as you worry, you are not believing. Because what you're worrying about is what you're unwilling to trust the Lord for. Amen? Amen? That's what worry does. Worry kills faith. Doesn't kill church membership, doesn't kill your memory. You can still quote the Bible, it just kills your faith. Because you cannot, at one time, be full of stress and worry oh, God, what am I going to do? You can't be like that and at the same time be trusting God. It's either or, one or the other. And sometimes trusting God becomes a labor of love, where you have to, as the Bible says, press in. And the devil resists you with but the Bible said if you resist the devil, what will he do? And what did first Peter five say? How will we resist him? Steadfast Amen. in the faith. Amen. What's the second thing he said that that robs or chokes the word? It's the deceitfulness of riches. You thought you could have it, be somebody, and do all that. Look how many wealthy people counting on money or thinking that money has made them somebody important are miserable people. Miserable people. Suicide. Wealthy people. Overdosed. Why would rich people overdose on drugs? Why would somebody that had $10 million? I think that's a lot of money. Now, I do, I really think that is a whole bunch of money. That's more than anybody here makes in six months. <laughs> why would if you had that much money, why would you overdose on drugs? Why would you drink all the time and be an alcoholic? Why would you have such a foul attitude and not be nice or kind to anybody? What I mean, what is life lacking? What what what's your problem? It's the devil. The devil doesn't mind you being rich. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. How hardly, he said. Those words, hardly. So I mean, he knows what money does to people. He knows how you restrain yourself from, well, like he said in 1 Timothy 6, charge those that are rich in this world not to be heady or high-minded, nor to trust in uncertain riches, because you naturally do that. That lottery ticket you're afraid we're all going to hear about, Uh, that $972 million lottery ticket? We're going to find out. (laughs) I'm just saying that money does things to you that are damaging. That's what's deceitful about it. It has the appearance of being, wow, if I had that, man. And yet when you have it, we don't see you like that. In fact, most of the time, you don't even come back to church anymore. You're you're gone busy playing with your toys. And that's your life now becomes, instead of seeking first the kingdom as he taught, now you're seeking toys. So it's a warning in Matthew 13 and verse 22. Two things that choke the word, that eliminate his power from being released in your life, is the deceitfulness of riches and the care of this world. Now, concerning the care of this world, I want you to turn with me to Matthew, again, chapter 6. I want to show you four or five places in Scripture where Jesus used a phrase that nobody else used to describe. um, Well, it wouldn't be a compliment. It would describe a rebuke. And it's in verse 30 of Matthew 6. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more do so for you? And how does he end that? Oh, what? O oh, you of little faith. It's, it's one single Greek word made up of two words, a compound word. Oligos, the first part, is the word small or puny. And the other word is a word for faith. So Jesus is saying, when you're concerned and you're worried about stuff, things, things that you have no right to worry about, God forbid it, and you worry about that stuff anyway, it's a sign that your faith is puny. Now, I don't know of a congregation in in America that would applaud that. Because sometimes that statement becomes really personal. Because you might be sitting here thinking, you know, I think my faith is kind of puny. Well, it's good to discover it if it is. Because you can do something about it. If you get mad about it, then your faith will stay puny and you'll have a bad attitude to boot. But Jesus is simply telling us something here. He said, when you're fretting about stuff, things, things of this world, or even tomorrow... Even tomorrow. Oh, what's tomorrow? When you're fretting about that, you're dreading tomorrow. Oh, oh God. He said it's the fact that your faith is little, puny. Little, puny faith. Turn to chapter 8. He says it again in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. And when he was received into a ship, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Would you agree with me that Jesus was not terribly concerned about that boat that night? Do you all believe that Jesus was worried about when he got into the boat about where he was going? (laughs) In the meantime, we're going to heaven. In the meantime, the good ship Zion that we're in, as the song says, you know, we're hitting troubled waters, waves, wind, things that turbulence, all kinds of things that uh, one slip and you're in the deep and you can't swim in that water and you're going to drown, you're going to lose your life. Something Jesus said, take no thought for. Wow. He was in the back of the ship asleep. And they woke him up. Don't you know that bothered them? I mean, I don't know what their faces look like. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. I can say that now. It wasn't turbulent when I was on there. I don't know what kind of boat. I've seen boats over there, big shipping boats. and So they were in a boat, and it was this way and that way, and you don't know if it's going to hold together or not. It's made by the lowest bidder, and so this thing can fall apart at most any any time. And it's getting pounded and hammered and the waves are coming over and it's it's starting to fill up the boat and and, and here in the back of the boat, you know, all of the, whatever they do, Jesus had his head on a little pillow. Mark four says he's back there asleep. And I know they kept telling Wake him up. You wake him up. No, you wake him up. No, you wake him up. Get Peter wake him up. He said he gave him the keys. Let him wake him up. Wake him up. So they woke him up. They said, Master, carest thou not, carest thou not that we perish? That's what Mark said in verse 25. He said, Lord, save us, we perish. Were they worried? Were they stressed? Fully stressed. I think if it is in your heart that you're about to die and you totally aren't ready for that, I think that's the peak of of stress when your life is in peril or somebody you love's life's in peril or there's a life and death situation I think I think stress hits his highest level then probably the hardest thing to cope with but it can be coped with I know that so they woke him up master save us we're perishing what made him think he could save them I mean they, they watched him do miracles all the time I thought, maybe he can do this one The Bible says in in Mark's account that he arose, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, "Be still!" And all of a sudden, all of that turbulence and the water—it just kind of—and the boat was kind of rocking on a clear sea. The wind became just a a little breeze, and they were. They said to him, lord, we perish and 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 Jesus said in verse twenty six to his disciples, he said, "Why are you waking me up? I was having a good nap? You know what he said to them? Why are you fearful? How many times does fear rob us of our faith? Because fear promotes anxiety mark's account mark four forty two Jesus said, how is it that you have no faith? I think fear does rob people of their faith. And I think that happens far too much. Go to chapter 14. Chapter 14 and verse 22. You're familiar with this story too. This one's on the sea. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him. To the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the wave, for the wind was contrary. They say the widest part of the Sea of Galilee when I was there was about eight miles across. Doesn't seem like it's that far. But if they were halfway across, I don't know where they were going from what point to what point, but if they were halfway there at this time of the night, they've been rowing pretty hard for several hours, and they've only gone about four miles. Now, I would say there was a lot of resistance to what they were doing, that the good ship Zion was going on its course to the other side. And they were met with so much resistance that it was hard to keep, to maintain encouragement, to keep paddling because we're not doing so good. And then here came the winds, and here came the water, and here came the waves, and here came all the trouble. Verse 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the Bible says in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them. It's a dark, dark night, several hours Later, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were excited. They said, it's Jesus. Praise God, he's here. Actually, the Bible says they were troubled. Now, isn't that amazing? I don't want to get off. But in the last days, if this is a picture maybe, in the last days, in the midst of our struggles on this earth as a church in a ship together, Rowing as hard as we can, trying to maintain some unity amongst us, and rowing at the time of our greatest need when we can't—I don't think we're going to make it. And here comes Jesus. Jesus returns, and yet when he returns, he's not—he's not known. But they saw Jesus. They thought he was a ghost. And they cried out for fear, not for joy, but for fear. They were already troubled. Now their trouble reaches its peak. And they were, oh, God. And they screamed. And there was one of those guys in the boat. His name was Peter. He said to Jesus, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come to you on the water. In verse 28, he said, come. And he got out of the boat to come to him. Here's another example of being little in your faith. They had been around him. They had woken him up, awakened him once before. Is woken the right word? Woken. I've read woken. But awakened him. And he, they saw him do this once. And here we are again. He's not asleep now. He's not there. But he comes walking on the water in the midst of their trouble. He's walking. I don't know what he looked like, but he was walking on the water. And they were troubled. Oh, God, if it's you, bid me to come to you in water. Only one man in all that church, all those in the church at that time, only one man dared to take a step of faith. Only one small part of the existing church was willing to take a step of faith. All of them made it to the other side, but only one was willing to get out of the boat. And he's the only one that began to sink. And he began to sink, you know, and and Jesus reached down rescued him and, and brought him back and, and saved him and saved the other. But in verse 31, he said, oh, you have little faith, didn't he? Why did you doubt? Would I be right in assuming this tonight? They were afraid, and when they began to be afraid, they began to doubt. This isn't going to work. We're going to die for sure, for sure. And Jesus rebuked his disciples and said, why did you doubt? It's like me and you in the boat were saying, "Well, why do you think we doubt, Lord? Look, at the, look what we were in. Jesus said, that's not an excuse. Now, he didn't say that, but that's what I think he would have said. That's not an excuse. You have no right to be full of sinful anxiety at a time like, like this. You remember that time Matthew 21 uh, he said remember the time we fed all those people Matthew 21 you remember he said to beware of the 11 of the of the Pharisees and the Sadducees verse uh, 5 through 12 they begin to wonder amongst themselves what uh, what does this mean are, are we in trouble and in verse 21, he said, if you have faith and doubt not, 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 what? Matthew 17, verse 20 says, nothing shall be impossible to you if you have faith. Amen. Turn to James chapter 1 just for a moment. Then we'll come right back to Matthew 16. But look in James chapter 1. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's your source. Wisdom is what should I do? What is the right thing to do? Knowledge is for right now. Wisdom is for after a while or tomorrow or at a later time. If a man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, our source. For he gives and he doesn't upbraid you. He gives abundance, willingly, and he doesn't upbraid you or fuss at you because you ask. But, let him ask in faith without wavering. Does your Bible say that? Let him ask in faith without wavering. The word means to doubt. Same word. Let him ask in faith without doubting. Because anybody can ask. Prayer is what Christians do. How much they believe when they ask for God, pray for something. How many of them really believe they're going to get it? I don't know. But Jesus said, when you pray, believe, you have it in Mark 11, and you'll get it. In James chapter 1, it says, if when you pray, you do not believe. What's he say in verse 8 or verse 7? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Now, the ramifications of that are more than we're going to talk about tonight. But it does put a premium of importance on faith. For it says, if you lack anything, ask God. God gives liberally and he doesn't upbraid you for it. But asking alone won't, won't get it. You've got to ask and believe. Because if when you pray you're not sure and you keep on asking for the same thing, I means you're still not quite sure. Maybe if I keep asking, I'll, I'll get it. The Bible said, Let not that man think that he shall receive what? Anything from the Lord. Anything. God doesn't respond to, to sweat and, and effort and long pleas. God responds to faith. The thing that kills faith is anxiety which brings an uncertainty of what God is willing to do into your life. Well, I know he could, I know he has. I don't know that he will. What a terrible sentence to charge God with. I know that he has. I know that he could. I'm just not sure that he will, but he said, ask and you shall receive." I know he said that, but I don't know if you do it I don't know if you do, do, uh, do that for me or not. I don't know. Well, go back to Matthew 16, and we'll commence closing. Matthew 16 and verse 5. I said Matthew 21. While I go over to Matthew 16 and verse 5 is, is our last uh, of these, oh, you of little faith. Jesus said in verse 6, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, Well, what he meant by that was that uh, we don't have any bread. Leaven, bread, yeast, leaven, bread. Which when Jesus perceived it, he said unto them, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why do you reason among yourselves saying it's because we have no bread? Do you not understand? Neither do you remember the loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you took up, neither the seven loaves or the 4,000, how many baskets you took up. Quit saying God could. We know He has. We don't know that He will. He's saying here, don't you remember what I've already done? Why would you ever fret that about stuff like this? I can do it again. I showed you that I'll do it. I haven't forsaken my word. Mark 8. Look at Mark 8. For He adds one little phrase to this scenario here. Mark chapter 8. He asked him because they were forgetful. He said, Is your heart hard? Verse 17. Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? What if I told you this that people who tend to forget don't remember? Here it in one ear and out the other, church members, Bible all marked up, plenty of notes and everything, but worry and stress out about promises? Could it be that their hearts are hard? Jesus asked a question. He, he didn't say they were. He said, have ye yet hardened your hearts? Have you so resisted what I've said have you so drawn back from the, from the sincerity of my words and you say, well, I haven't seen it happen over here. I didn't see it happen over here. And who's ever had this happen? Who's ever had that happen? Because I have no evidence in people down here. I can't trust God whom I haven't seen. Yet you've got to come to the place where uh, let God be true and every man a liar in Romans 3. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, what's the remedy for all of this? Go to Psalms 55 and we'll close. Psalm 55, the remedy for worry, the remedy for all of these things. Verse 22, here's what you can do and what you should do. This is what God has given to you. Psalms 55 and verse 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord. And what will he do? He will sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Let me read it again. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. That's what 1 Peter 5 said. That's where where this comes from. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall keep thee or guard thee, protect you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Is that why Jesus said at the end of Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because that condition alone brings you into a place where God will always keep you. That's what he said. I didn't write this. Listen to these words. You can close your Bible. I'm going to read for you Jeremiah 17. I want you to hear this. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Verse 8, here's the promise for those who trust the Lord, which is the solution for work, trusting God. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out its roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat comes, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Hallelujah. Who? The man who trusts the Lord. God won't make you trust him. He won't force you to trust him. He says that's the solution. God can be trusted. He is reliable. God is faithful. He watches over his word to perform it. Some people have proven that. And I think it pleases God for you to prove that, to prove that he is, he is right. I looked at the word careful in the Hebrew and it said this word word describes uneasiness of mind as a result of the circumstances of life. That takes us back to where we started. Uneasiness of mind as it pertains to the circumstances of life. Something we should not do, something we don't have to do, but we can do. Really, the choice is yours because we all live by choices. All of us. You'll make a choice as to what you hear, whether yay or nay, but you'll make a choice. And God gives us the opportunity to do that, to trust him with all of our heart, to enjoy his benefits, and to put a smile on your face and let nothing get you down. We sing that. Don't we have a little song we sing? Does anybody know what the song is? Don't let the devil get you down. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father God, we thank you tonight in Jesus' name for your word, for the truth of it, for the power that it is in it. When you send forth your word to this earth, you send it with the power of heaven. May it be released in us, and may we in turn release it in our lives, in our circumstances. And be more than conquerors in this life. And be overcomers. And prevail and triumph in all of our circumstances. And have a living testimony to a lost world that there is hope. I ask you to bless these people here tonight, those that are watching. I ask you to bless them with that. In Jesus' name, amen.